There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Tony winner Brian Stokes Mitchell joins Hamilton star Renee Elise Goldsberry for Broadway in the Park at Wolf Trap on Friday night in a special co-production with Signature Theater. I spoke with Mitchell about his prolific Broadway career, from Ragtime to Kiss Me Kate, and even singing out of his New York City window during the pandemic. Hey, Brian Stokes Mitchell. Hey, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP. Jason, it is my pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. And we are talking because you are going to be doing Broadway in the Park. It's uh, at Wolf Trap, uh, co-production with Signature Theater, actually, at Wolf Trap. Uh, you and Renee Elise Goldsberry. Uh, and it's going to be Friday, September 3rd at 8 p.m. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for covering this, too. It, it's really great that, you know, uh, that shows are starting up again. People are getting out again. Uh, it's nice to see that I've been doing some some shows up here in New York as well and Lincoln Center, also outside. And people seem to be so happy to be out and hearing an orchestra. I was just in Ravinia uh, just a few days ago as well, which is also outside. And it's, it's, I think we're going to have a, a, a really, really great time down there. Oh, yeah, Wolf Trap is a, a gorgeous venue. The acoustics are great. And, yeah, it's like, a, you know, we're lucky to have a – it's like a, a protected national park where no matter how much D.C. expands outward, that will always be like a little – natural oasis for for great artists like yourself to come there so all right so it's it's going to be um you and and renee elise goldberg obviously everyone remembers her from hamilton and the color purple all kinds of stuff on broadway um yeah how exciting is it that you'll be sharing the stage with someone uh as talented as her Oh, I just, I just love her. I've seen her in, in a, a gajillion things now. I think just about everything she's ever done. And, um, you know, we also, we, we do benefits together. It's a very small community in, in New York, actually. And even if you've never done shows together, you always end up doing benefit performances together. You end up doing something together. So I, I just, I just love uh, Renee Elise. I'm really looking forward to, to sharing a stage with her. She's such a spectacular performer. And um, and it's going to be fun, kind of doing this for Signature Theater too. Oh, absolutely! Two institutions in the uh, you know the live event industry down here, Signature and Wolf Trap. Um, yeah. How do you put together a set list for something like this? Um, the Wolf Trap website, at least, says you know we got Don't Rain on My Parade, the Skyler Sisters, You'll Never Walk Alone. But um, do you and and Renee get together, you know, in New York or virtually, and and we're on the phone and just say, hey, you know, how, like how do how do you shape what songs you're gonna sing? 
Well, it's interesting because I think a lot of people think, you know, we must have been rehearsing these shows for a long time, you know, especially if you're doing something with a, a group of musicians or an orchestra as well. You know, they must have been working on this forever. Generally, we get together when we get down there on the day of the rehearsal and everybody runs it for the first time together. Sometimes um, I'll talk if I'm doing a concert with other people just to get an idea. So, I, you know, uh, of how to balance out the material and who's doing what to make sure we're not doing like 50 ballads, you know, or something like that. That. Um, but uh, but generally, that's kind of the surprising thing of it. When you're when you're working with incredible musicians like you know that like are going to be involved in this concert as well, and Renee Elise, um, it's it's kind of fun. You just kind of can 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 pull it out of your your hat as you're doing it, and that's what it's going to be because we're used to doing that, and we do it so much together as well. So um, and that people are always surprised to hear that because they think, oh, you must have been rehearsing on this for weeks. No, we just actually had two two run throughs of this, and that's pretty much it. Great. Well, we excited to see what you what you cook up up for us. Um, well, whenever I have someone like yourself on, I, lo- I love to hear how you got started in the arts to begin with. So I know you were born in you know Seattle, Washington, and wow, October thirty first, fifty Halloween of fifty seven. Did you ever? <laughs> what's it like having a birthday on? Did you always go trick or treating as a kid on your birthday? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's nice, you know. Everybody dresses up in costumes for my birthday. It's it's great, you know. I, it's funny because I always think, you know, okay, people. The day people dress up and and pretend to be other people, what else could I have done with my life? but become an actor. So I, I think that was the first, you know, four way ray into that is when I just popped out on Halloween. Um, and um, so from Seattle, I went to, to, uh, to San Diego just for a, a few months when I was about six years old, my dad ended up getting a job for the Navy uh, as a civilian. So I, I was raised overseas in Guam and the Philippines. And then when we got back to the United States, when I was 14 years old, we moved back to San Diego. And that's really when I started acting, I was already singing. I was playing the piano since I was six years old and singing before that um, but I started my acting studies and really delving deeply in, into uh, to uh, voice lessons and everything else uh, at that at that age and worked at the globe all the theaters down in San Diego and then moved up to Los Angeles and I got very very lucky because I was only up there maybe six months uh, already working in a repertory company and I got got in television kind of immediately in the first uh, television show that I ever auditioned for which was called Trapper John MD um, I not only got it, but I've got, you know, I mean, I hit the lottery. It ran for seven years. So, um, you know, that kind of launched me. Um, but most people knew me from television at that point. They didn't know that I was a musical theater person and, you know, a person from the stage. And uh, so shortly after that, I, I ended up doing a show uh, at the Pasadena Playhouse that took me to uh, to New York City. It became my first Broadway show. It didn't run very long, but it was a great a way for me to kind of uh, make my mark. And then I kept getting invited back, you know, by Broadway producers and everybody. And, and uh, one thing led to another. And, and now I think I've done 10 or 11 Broadway shows and about four or five off-Broadway shows. And, and I continue to do television. I continue to do concerts. I continue to do films, you know, and all of that. I, I call myself the luckiest actor in the world because this is, this is all I've done since I, I before I left high school. I was already working um, in this profession. So I feel really, really fortunate to, to be able to keep doing that. And it's why I like to give back to, to different organizations, you know, when they ask to, to come down like signature theater or the actors fund, I would do a lot of charity work as well. And, uh, and it's, it's just been a, it's, it's, it's been a great life. 
Wow, thanks for explaining that. Like I, a lot of our listeners, you know, they they know you as a this big Tony winning Broadway star, but they probably they probably forgot that you you actually started in TV. Trapper John MD, that was just like a mash spinoff, right? So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then so yeah, you, you know, did that. I think you did like a, a little spinoff of of Roots, Next Generations, and actually, I yeah. think before Broadway. Um, weren't you, weren't you like a, a regular celebrity guest on a, on a lot of those like pyramid game shows and stuff? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was doing. Trapper John MD. I, I did. I, now, man, I must've done 12 or 15 weeks of, of, of the pyramid and a whole bunch of other shows. I, I really like that, that show a lot. Well, I mean, you got like the personality charisma for it, man. You know, it's perfect for that sort of setting, but I think you did, like you, like you mentioned, I think you did find your calling when you, when you came back over here to the East coast to Broadway. Um, yeah. Tell, tell me about your very first Broadway show. It was called mail, right? In in 88. Well, how is that always hold a special place in your heart as your very first time? Yeah, absolutely. You know, that, that was the one that I was talking that started in the Pasadena Playhouse, and then we went to the Kennedy Center um, in D.C., uh, uh, yeah, and um, then that we took it to, to New York. It was a, a big, big hit in Los Angeles, and it did well in, at the Kennedy Center as well. Um, but the year we came here, um, it was the year of, oh, what was else? That was Les Mis was that year, and um, Into the Woods, I think, was it, uh, was that year. There were just a whole bunch of really, really great shows. Um, around that time, and um, and, uh, uh, and and the the show, you know, didn't quite catch on here like it did in all the other places. But I ended up getting something called a Theater World Award, which to this day is maybe my favorite award I've ever gotten. It's it's an award they give to only about fifteen. Uh, people that are making their Broadway debut in shows. And I mean, anybody who's anybody has gotten this award. It goes back, you know, uh, uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of years. I think Marlon Brando got one. And, you know, I mean, I'm, really, it's, it's kind of a, one of those obscure awards that most people don't know about unless you're in the Broadway community. But those of us that are in the community know it and kind of revere this this award. And that was kind of my stamp. And after that, I came back and I did a um, uh, Kiss uh, OK on Broadway, which is David Merrick, the uh, abominable showman, as many people call him as a producer. Uh, um, the last show he produced on his own. And then I replaced Gregory Hines in Jelly's Last Jam. And from there, I went to Kiss of the Spider Woman. And then and then after that was Ragtime. And that's the show that really kind of launched my career um, from from then on. on yeah, Broadway, let's go. Even I've yeah, thanks shows. for mentioning. Yeah, for sure. Let's go into that a little bit because, yeah, you thanks for mentioning OK and Jelly's Last Jam and uh, Kiss of the Spider Woman, of course, Candor and Ebb. But, uh, yeah, like you're saying, uh, Ragtime was the one, I think, that really put you on the map in uh, Broadway, January 98, I think it opened. Um, and you originated the role of Cole House Walker Jr., right? Like, what's it like to, you know, you've seen so many so many productions of Ragtime since, but what's it like to know that, hey, I was the original in that? <laughs> It's it's really really nice actually. It's it, it's it's one of the sweet things about it has been seeing other people put their stamp on it. When I left the show, um, I left before the show actually closed because I'd been working on it for about three or four years at that time from the very first workshop that we had done, um, and uh, then it ran I think another six months uh, after I left here in New York. Um, but I went to see the very last show as well, and I kind of wrote a long note to the cast. And basically what I said is, you know, it's been a really great run, and, and as wonderful as, as it's been on Broadway, it's great to see it now getting into the hands, of, you know, of, I think of the performers where it belongs, which is like high schools and colleges and community theaters. Because when a show was originally on Broadway, 
they don't they don't let it out other places. Um, you know, they'll they'll maybe start a touring company, but that's started by the same producer um, at the at that time. But that's why you know, it, like you can't do Hamilton in your in your in your high school yet. Um, you know, and some some of these other shows. Occasionally, people will do smaller versions of them uh, and let those out. Um, but that that has been a really special show because I've I've gone to another a, a bunch of other places and seen productions of it and and you know we 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 Cole House Walkers seem to have a a kind of bond you know and really anybody in that show to this day that's still the most magical show that I've ever done and I'll be singing some 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 things from Ragtime when I'm down there as well. Awesome, can't wait. Well, so you get nominated for a Tony for Best Actor in a Musical for that. You you don't win that time, but that would the win would come the following year, uh, which is a big uh, feather in your cap. The Best Actor in a Musical Tony Award for Cole Porter's Kiss Me, Kate. You played uh, Fred Graham, right, in Petruchia. Yeah, um, yeah. How uh, you've done your just, research? I'm impressed. I'm so impressed. I mean, you, you kind of have to for this stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> you do, I guess. And it sounds like you're a theater and arts lover, so that always helps as well. I'm a movie guy, music guy, theater, every everything, man. So, yeah, uh, yeah tell, tell me about, I mean, uh, I mean, needless to say, Kiss Me, Kate, um, it's arguably, I mean, one of your career roles. But t- talk about just how, A, how much fun it was doing it, and then B, sitting there on Tony night and getting that win. <laughs> <laughs> That was that was really fantastic. Um, that was my I think second nomination. I mean, this, the thing is, and, and I, I, a lot of times I'll go and teach at classes, you know, at universities and colleges. And one of the things that I always tell students is, hey, you're going to lose more in life than you win. Uh, and especially when you're an actor, that's true. I've I've lost more roles, I've lost more awards, you know, all, all of those things. But uh, I'm in it for the work. I I love the process. I love uh, working with other terrific, creative, wonderful artists. Uh, Marin Maisie was my co-star in that that show, who since passed away uh, a few years ago. She was also we were in Ragtime together as well and uh, just a brilliant brilliant uh lady we she's actually the leading lady that i've worked with the most i think we've done five shows together um and um so we had a, a great time and a great rapport on that show ragtime was kind of challenging you know for a lot of reasons i won't get into now because it's too 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 long a story um but uh, especially for um marin because she was in canada i ended up going to los angeles and opening the company out there and that was very disheartening for that cast that was in canada because we had all developed the show together but i'd had it in my contract that i could open the show in los angeles so we all rejoined when we came to uh, New York uh, to open the show here, but there was still, you know, a lot of bad feelings, not with me, uh, but I know with the producer and with some other uh, people with the show. So, uh, and oddly enough, when we did Ragtime, Marin and I, uh, of all the people in the company, I felt I knew her the least because we were always on stage at opposite times. And the one time that we were on stage together, it was a scene about, not understanding each other just you know well who are you and who are you and what's going on here you know so uh and then our roles were so difficult we didn't get a chance to go out and party you know after the show because we just had to go home and be quiet and save our voice because you're doing eight shows a week so when we did kiss me kate we said hey let's have the most fun ever and and we did uh we laughed and just uh just uh, it was it was a, a blast doing that show with her 
Great, great. Thanks for, for explaining all of that one, too, and, and running into the, you guys' uh, long-time collaboration together. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game, and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. Um, yeah, and then yeah. obviously, um, so you win for that. That must have been a joy. And, uh, you know, more Tony noms follow. King Hadley II, Man of La Mancha, um, you know, we don't have time to go into all of them, obviously, but um, I do want to know about, didn't you do a special um, Carnegie Hall thing for South Pacific with, like, Reba McIntyre and Alec Baldwin? Like, uh, yeah. I remember that, because I think that aired, you know, around the country and down here in D.C. I aired on, aired on PBS, I think. Yeah it, sure, yeah, it sure did. And that wasn't supposed to at first. We were just going to do it as a performance. And then somebody got a great idea and said, hey, let's let's take this. I, this could make a great PBS show. And we ended up making an album from it as well. And I was really happy because um, that's those shows, um, the, those benefit shows like that. Also, like I was talking about, you know, it's usually very last minute. I think we maybe put that show together in like five days. They're, they're really quickly rehearsed. So you don't really know what exactly is going to come out. You know you're working with artists of the highest caliber, and the chances of it coming out well are pretty good. But when you're doing something like that, it's a one-off. You never know. Something could go terribly, horribly wrong. There was a point in that show where, because uh, we're doing it on book, uh, you know, who's reading the script, you know, we, although we have most of it memorized in our heads because you don't want to see people, you know, with their heads down in a, in a, in a binder. Um, but still, it kind of helps you keep track of where you are. And during one of the scenes, Alec Baldwin, the pages fell out all over the stage from his script. <laughs> and I think he said, uh-oh, <laughs> and everybody laughed. But they ended up keeping it in the show because it's a great reminder of, you know, this is a live show, and what do people do? And just, you know, seeing how, how he recovered from that and the cast recovered from that, you know, it was really fun and funny. And audiences love those kinds of things, too, when something goes wrong in a show, when somebody goes up on lyrics or forgets a line or something like that because they feel like they've seen something special and they're really seeing something, um, you know, just for them. And that's what's great about the theater, too, whether it's a concert or a live show is it really is a performance that's just for you in that time in that space it's never going to exist again and I think that's why live theater is so important for people um, because unlike a movie the movie is going to be the same no matter where you see it no matter when you see it and it's also in two dimensions so no matter where you sit in the theater everybody's going to see the movie the exact same way in this in a live theater depending on where you're sitting because you're watching something in three dimensions the people sitting in the front right of the audience are getting a very different view than somebody sitting at the back left of the balcony you know and then that show is going to be different every day as well so it's a really special experience and it's why i love live performing so much and why i love doing concerts uh, as much uh, as well because first thing it's not eight shows a week but also you get that that still that live connection with an audience and it's it's kind of one and done it's this ephemeral thing that is literally just there for that time and space and no other wow i didn't did know about the whole papers alec baldwin's papers falling over i did not know <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> south no, pacific so I... was almost derailed but hey, hey alec you, you've alec you've got to be carefully taught how to hold <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah That's exactly funny. 
But if anybody uh, can handle cool. that, Alec Baldwin, you know, I mean, he's such a brilliant comic and, 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 and oh, actor. Yeah. Uh, so he, he just did it with a plum. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, um, you know, at least in terms of uh, that was that we covered the New York stuff uh, pretty good. But uh, in terms of D.C. audiences who might come out to Wolf Trap um, and Signature Theater production here, um, a lot of them might remember you from the Kennedy Center. Didn't you did like didn't you come down for like a Sweeney Todd thing? Yeah, I did that. I call the Kennedy Center kind of my second home, actually, um, because I'm I'm down there so much. I, I was uh, I played Sweeney Todd with Christine Baranski. It was my Mrs. Lovett it, at a Sondheim celebration. We did, I think, eight, eight of his shows in repertory uh, down there. And that was one of the great theatrical experiences of my life, not only doing the show in repertory with others, but having the opportunity to sit and, and see not only the shows themselves, but we were sharing rehearsal rooms. So, you know, we would go on a break and then we'd move to the rehearsal room next door to us. We were in the opera house uh, at Kennedy Center and um, there was Placido Domingo that he, he was conducting, working on a, uh, I can't remember which opera that he was doing, but he was also singing and conducting it uh, for the, those uh, rehearsals as well, I think. And, uh, and then in another room, uh, they were doing Sunday in the Park with George and rehearsing that, you know, so it was just like just mind blowing for, for any theater nerd to, to be in a, in a space like that. For sure. Um, well, a lot of those same audiences will probably turn out to see at Wolf Trap. But real quick, um, sorry to go out of order, but uh, no, it's all right. To double back to New York, really quick. Um, I just remembered. Didn't you? Do, you were with um, you were on Broadway across Patty Lapone for the Almodovar uh, adaptation, Women on the Verge yes. of Nervous Breakdown. What was it like yeah. working with a legend like Lapone? Or she probably said the oh, same I thing. A legend I'm... like Brian Stephens. <laughs> well, well, I love Patty, and one of the things I think we we. You know, I, I've, I've seen her in pretty much everything she's done. I just love her. She's just a real trooper. And um, I remember sitting down with her for the first uh, one of the first interviews that we did with the press. And she and I did something together. And we were just talking. And it was like listening to yourself speak. We realized we had so much in common. I mean, I think we both intuited that anyway, because of just watching the way that she works. But she's just so dedicated to her craft. And um, you know, I just, I just loved her spirit. I loved her, you know, theatrical sense. It was like she was born in a trunk, you know, kind of person. And and uh, her, her. <laughs> Is that hard a bandwagon work. reference? <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Thank you for that. Yes. <laughs> uh, but her, her, her hard work and her dedication and her, and her just raw talent. I mean, she's just really a, an incredible force to be on the stage with and to and to watch and to just be around. I, I really love and admire her. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us. You've been generous with your time. I guess sort of in closing, just uh, it's been it's been a rough, you know, very rough uh, over <laughs> a year, year and a half. Um, yeah. And, and I was thinking about that a few seconds ago when you were discussing just the beauty of live theater and three dimensions and versus two dimensions, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah. you know, you, you were saying people in, in a movie theater can't see the same or see the same view. And I was thinking, wow, like people haven't been in movie or stage theaters in, in a while here. So talk about yeah. how how just the how how hard it was for, for Broadway, you know, that you've made a living at that. But just how hard it was for, for a whole theater community to be just shut down on the sidelines and also on the flip side, how exciting it is to finally be back. 
Yeah, it, it's been very, very difficult. I'm, I'm also chairman of the Board of the Actors Fund, and I'm on two other organizations. One's called Black Theater United, and another is called Americans for the Arts. And all of them, you know, are involved in, in the arts, and uh, especially with the Actors Fund, because it helps not only actors, but anybody who makes a living in show business or the performing arts, camera people, uh, uh, news anchors, radio people, um, uh, uh, costumers, designers, directors, you know, ticket takers in times of need. And this has been a terrible terrible time of need. Um, you know, for most people, I think, I hope we'll see that the pandemic, when we look back a few years from now, you know, probably started and ended, and it'll be probably a two-year span when it really had a huge impact on people's lives. For those people in show business and the performing arts, it'll be more like five years, just because, you know, most people are gig workers. Uh, people think, people in show business think, oh, Tom Cruise and Denzel Washington and, you know, all these people that are working and, and making a, a gajillion dollars. That is not the vast, vast majority of people are gig workers going from job to job and people lost their insurance people lost their homes people lost their cars uh, their livelihoods um, we have an emergency assistance uh, fund at the actors fund normally in a year we would give away two million dollars a year to about 1500 people and these are people that are most needed they need help paying for the rent paying for a prescription paying for food um, in the last year, we've given away more than $22 million to more than 16,000 people, and that's going to be continuing because Broadway's not open yet. Bruce Springsteen's show opened, and a few more shows are going to be opening um, in, in a few more weeks, but the bulk of it is still closed down. It's kind of slowly starting to open. One of the really interesting things was, and it's funny because you mentioned all these things that I've been doing. I think of all the things that I've done, the things that most, the, one of the things that more people see me do than anything is singing out my window on over Broadway during the pandemic. I was saying the impossible dream out my window. And I was getting calls from Japan and from Australia because it became international news and, um, and became viral and everything. And I, you know, and I wasn't even planning on doing it more than one time. I was just going to do it as a one-off. But one of the things that really struck me was uh, I was singing kind of in gratitude for all the essential workers because at seven o'clock every night, that's what New York was doing at that time. You know, everybody would stop what they were doing and clap and cheer and yell and scream and honk their horns and bang on pots and pans. Um, you know, as a way to thank all of the doctors and nurses and and uh, you know subway workers and people that were keeping the city going. Um, but what was interesting for me as I ran into a neighbor um, uh, about a week and a half after I ended up continuing to do it because people kept saying, sing the song again from the street, you know, when I was ready to close the window. And so I ended up sang, singing it for about two and a half months. But about a week and a half in, a neighbor stopped me on the street and said, thank you. Thank you so much. And this neighbor I never even met before. Um, and he said, I come out every night to cheer all the, um, the essential workers, but we come out to hear you sing. I bring my wife out and my two kids. It's the one time in my day I feel joy. So it was a huge lesson for me about the power of live theater because literally by the time I finished, there were hundreds of people that would come to, to gather on the street to cheer everybody on and then hear me sing. It was really incredible. And that does attest to that power of just people being together and experiencing something live in a group uh, that is just for them just in that moment. So it really is powerful. And I, and I look forward to, to, to seeing uh, the, the audiences down there at Wolf Trap when I come down, where I get to kind of spread some of that joy and love. And I'll, I'll sing that song in full, too, down there. Wow. That's uh, – yeah. Take that, dear Evan Hansen. You're singing out your window. <laughs> <laughs> but um, – 
that's so but in all seriousness though i mean it's really i mean it's probably not since i hope i'm not overstating this but probably not since like 9-11 have we seen the city of new york have to band together through such tragedy and loss of life and stuff so it's really cool that you played a part um from from the heights of your window screaming out singing out uh you know that you played a part in in helping heal so uh that that's great yeah I feel happy about that. Um, you know, in 9-11, Broadway closed only for about four or five days. You know, and we thought that was terrible because that had never happened before. And here now we've been closed for more than a year. So it, it really is something. But it's great that, you know, there's, there's organizations like the Actors Fund um, helping out. And, and then we're getting recognition from it. I got the key to the city of New York, actually, by the mayor presented to me a couple of weeks ago because of my uh, singing out the window and also the work with the Actors Fund. Um, you know, and that I feel that key is for all of the people that have been been helping everybody out. Yeah, it's it's a good point. It's it's almost like two different types of tragedy. 9/11 was obviously so devastating, boom, impact, the loss of life, the the explosions, the terrorists, you know what I mean? Like it was a different it was like a Pearl Harbor but in real time yeah. watching it. Um and then but like you're saying, within a couple of days or weeks later, event we were told to go back, you know, try to, we're not going to let the terrorists beat us, go back, go back to doing shows. Whereas here, it's it's almost been a long, slow death, yes. to excuse a term. And it's been, oh, it's just been tragic on a whole whole different level. So it's great that you, you have, you know, the, the fun that you've put together and, and, and you're helping everybody through it. Um, singing out your window and, and financially, you know, putting your money where your mouth is too. So. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, thank you so much. I mean, we covered a lot of ground here. I really appreciate it. Um, but everybody, come check out Broadway in the Park uh, at Wolf Trap, uh, co-production with Signature Theater. Uh, Brian Stokes Mitchell, he'll be with Renee Elise Goldsberry and a bunch of other singers um, on Friday, September 3rd at 8 p.m. So, uh, hey, thanks so much, Brian. I mean, this this was great. I, I was stoked to talk to you and you delivered. <laughs> Well, I'm stoked to talk to you as well, and thank you, and thanks to everybody. I, I look forward to seeing people. I hope they come out. I mean, what we're trying to do now, I think, Renee, Elise, and I, and all the artists in the show, is to kind of connect everybody back to their happy place, to the joy place, so we can feel like we're kind of getting life life back to normal. You know, the, this 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 terrible uh, COVID has, has always presented more questions than answers, and it still continues to do that. And we need to just keep working together, and you know, so we can can see the the end of this thing uh through but um but i i look forward to spreading some joy and some happiness and some fi- some good feeling at this this concert and thank you so much for for uh, talking to me and talking about the arts and spreading spreading the word about the arts and spreading your joy about it as well i really 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 appreciate that keep keep up your good work oh thank you well maybe maybe uh when this interview posts we can both uh blare it out the window <laughs> that would be great let's do that you got a deal All right, sounds good. Brian Stokes Mitchell, everybody. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Jason. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.